0: Remain standing for the gospel lesson, which is taken from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. This is the gospel of Christ. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand, out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one, the word of the Lord. Let me see. That. I read a quote from a man I don't know. He is the National Association of Manufacturers' representative. His name is Hank Cox, and he was stirred up to give a speech. Speaking to his colleagues, and he said, We're a workaholic society. Uh, the world or the word is much the world is much more competitive now, he said, than it used to be. These days you have to run faster and harder just to stay in the same place. Really? have to run faster and harder to stay in the same place. I've heard of running as fast as you can just to stay even. I've heard of people saying, we are working harder than ever with uh, the same result. Mr. Cox though has managed to, if you will, defy both logic and the laws of physics. And I don't know that anyone caught that But I would say this is a kind of yogiism. And this is the beginning of baseball season. And maybe some of you know and some of you don't know that Yogi Berra is rather famous for a lot of his words. He said, The future ain't what it used to be. It gets gets late earlier than ever. I used to take a two hour nap from one to four. Today I'm preaching on the believer's assurance of God's love, or to put it in the words of Fanny Crosby, blessed assurance. In many respects, to have blessed assurance through Christ, we must defy the world's logic to have assurance. And we also, in a real sense, are defying the laws of physics Because in Christ, the eternal has become infinite, or the the eternal has become finite. Now, what I I want to point out to you is today that in this world, there is no certainty at anywhere, any place, any time. And philosophers and scholars through the centuries and ordinary people have recognized that. There is no resting place here. There is no place where you can say, things will be the same tomorrow as they were in the past. For instance, you're not sure of tomorrow. Uh, In fact, the Lord even commands us to pray uh, for the next day. If it is the Lord's will, we will be here tomorrow. But the point I want to make is very simply this. There is no place here where you can be guaranteed of health, wealth, You cannot be guaranteed that your retirement will be there when you get there. You cannot be guaranteed that you will get into the school of your choice when that time comes. You cannot be guaranteed that you will have children or grandchildren. We could multiply all of these examples, but all of them point out to one thing, that this is a world of shifting sand where there is no permanence, no permanence. And this seems to be part of the laws of nature. Everything tends toward death and destruction. That's called the law of entropy. It's part of our world. It's, it's part of the warp and woof of our society, of our, our laws, our world, our nature, everything. Even your cells change in your body every so often. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about assurance for the Christian, for the believer. What does it mean to have assurance, number one, that you have eternal life in Christ, and number two, that He will keep you that way? Now, that is the goal, is to figure out how in the world can we have assurance in a world where it is nothing but shifting sand. Now, I'm going to get a bit theological. As a matter of fact, we have to base uh, our assurance on something that is absolutely profound, that in one sense defies human logic and defies the laws of space and time, and that would be the fact that God has come into our world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm preaching from John's Gospel, chapter 10. I preached last week a sermon from John's Gospel. I've preached many other sermons the last year from John's Gospel. And you know that the Gospel begins by simply talking about how the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the word was with god and the word was god and in the course of human history that word became flesh now here is something that's very important our security does not does not rest upon anything that we can make or manufacture any place where we can get in life no kind of security can be had and there are those who say that there is no security on any level anywhere any place any time about anything but you would be wrong. The believer can rest assured that God's love has been set upon them and that they are the objects of God's love and that God will keep them all the way through life to the end and take them to their heavenly home. But this is rooted, if you will, in the person of Jesus Christ who became flesh. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. Jesus is uh, at the Feast of Dedication, better known as Hanukkah. It's December. I'm going to guess that it's about the year 28. He's walking along the porch, Solomon's Colonnade, right uh, in the temple precincts. And some of the temple authorities and others came up to him and they begin to question him. Now that you can see that they are aggravated. They are troubled by this man. He's coming to the end of his ministry on earth. It's not long before he is crucified. And so he is coming to the end. You can see the hostility in their words, in every way that they approach him. And so they approach him at this situation. And I want you to look at what happened on this occasion. They began to question him. How long, they said, will you keep us in suspense about you? Now, this really is the first direct questioning that the temple leaders, the Jews, Jews here meant temple leaders and leaders of Israel, not just any ordinary Jew. The Jews were, in this case, those who were in a position of authority. And they came to him, and for the first time, they questioned him, and they confronted him. Tell us who you are. And there's an interesting phrase here that you find that you, in, the, um, uh, in Greek, but you don't see it really uh, in the translations that you have before you. Let me take you then uh, to the passage. Then Jesus came to the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade, The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? Now, a literal translation is this. How long will you take away our life? You don't get that in the tamed down translation in many modern Bibles. In other words, they're saying, how long will you annoy us? Tell us plainly. You who trouble all of Israel, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Tell us. That is the question. And Jesus responds very straightforward. Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles, and let me change the translation here too. The word miracles is based on the work Uh, or work. It just means works. It includes miracles, but it's a broader word than miracles. The works I do in my Father's name speak for me. Now, what is he saying to them? You have rejected my ministry. You know that I have gone about doing good and healing the sick. You have heard my teaching, but yet you have rejected this And the reason that you have rejected. Now, listen to this. You do not believe or you have rejected me because you are not my sheep. Now, that made him surely all the more angry. And then he goes on. And this beautiful, beautiful phrase that I quote many times for the assurance of pardon. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. And he goes on to say, for I and the Father are one. Now let me talk about Jesus' Messiahship. He told the woman at the well in chapter 4. And uh, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. And he says, the one who speaks to you is he. He had revealed himself. Later in the next chapter of this particular book, in chapter 11 of Mary and Martha, Jesus tells them that he is even more, and get this language. He says to them when he raises Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes on me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the reason that they didn't believe, of course, they were not given. This is rooted in election. But from a practical standpoint, they didn't want to believe, of course. They didn't like what they were seeing. They were threatened and believed that they were losing some of their authority over the Jewish people of the land. Now, here we are talking about, very simply then, the Incarnation. The incarnation next to the Trinity, these two great doctrines are the linchpins of Christianity. There is no Christianity without the Trinity or without the incarnation. What is the incarnation? The incarnation means that the eternal God in the person of Jesus Christ has come into our world to share our space and time, our history, to make God known to us. To make God known. Now let me state something very emphatically. There are all kinds of religions. There are all kinds of philosophies. Many of them are simply quests to discover something. We can discover many things from a scientific standpoint. You can discover many things about yourself. That's the way God has made life. But one thing no human being can discover is God. God himself does not share our space and our time. God does not, in a real sense, share our history. He is outside of those categories. God cannot be discovered with human instruments or the human mind or whatever because the finite cannot, cannot prove or disprove the infinite. It lies outside human capacity. So what does the incarnation mean? It means that God has come in human flesh to confront us so that we might know him. The only way that you will ever know God is in the face of Jesus Christ. The only way that you will ever come to know God will be in Jesus Christ. There is no God behind Jesus in one sense. There is no God beside Jesus on the left or the right or in front of him. You can't scale the heavens and find God, nor can you descend into your soul the depths of it and find God. You find God in the person of Jesus Christ who has come into our world to seek and to save the lost. So the incarnation means that we are entirely dependent upon the sovereign grace of God as it is offered in the person of Jesus Christ. Now this is particularism, isn't it? This doesn't set well with our world. This doesn't set well with the, uh, the climate. You have your way, I have my way. We're all just trying to get along in the world. Your way is as good as mine and mine is as good as yours. We don't like to make value judgments. We don't like to say that one culture is better than another. And of course, that's, that's absolutely the case. Some cultures are very destructive, offer no benefits. It is not true that every person is morally the same. Some people are moral and some people are immoral. We do have these judgments to make. And because we will not make them, we are indeed the poorer for it in the modern world. But the point is very simply this, that if we come to know God, it will be in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to make God known. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. Now, I want you to notice how the apostles put this. The apostle Paul says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives. So if you're going to know God, you will know God in Jesus Christ. That's why you are called upon to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no possibility. We cannot discover God. God comes into our world on a seek and search rescue mission in Jesus Christ. And He confronts you. And He confronts the world. The theme here over the weekend and today has been the Word What can it do and what can it accomplish? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the way we confront the world with the claims of God's love and grace in Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't like that. It it just raises too many questions. I can't figure it all out. There are too many good people in this world that are not Christians. I know that raises lots of questions. But it is also true that the gospel is clear. You know, we have to live with tensions and antinomies all the time. We have to live with things that we don't understand. But one thing we can plainly understand is God's offer of love freely given in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say that this is important. And wherever the incarnation is rejected, it has consequences. And I'm not talking just about the individual. You were no doubt enraptured with what was going on in Boston this past week. And I agree with uh, one congressman who said, uh, is, is it now the time to have an investigation of radical jihadists? It is. There is a socio-political, religious philosophy in the world that is upsetting the world it's not just here go to India go to China go to Indonesia as Samuel Huntington the sociologist who recently died famous worldwide Samuel Huntington from Harvard said the borders of Islam are bloody It's an obvious fact. Now, I want to offer up a reason for it. It's a theological social reason. It's a theological social reason, and it is this. Whenever we reject the incarnation, God is still distant. He's not here to confront me. He's not here to confront me with his love. God is still distant. And I could also use this to talk about modern secularism. They do it just the reverse. But let's use this political ideology, which is very, very dangerous. It easily radicalizes the young and the malformed. So why? It is because in the face of alienation, We grow hostile and angry. We want something deeper. And this alienation produces nothing but hatred and anger. It's like a young male growing up without a father. Doesn't work. He doesn't learn what a manhood is. He doesn't learn that you can be tender. He only interprets it one way. It's aggression. Alienation. Alienation from the love of God offered in the person of Jesus Christ has social and even political consequences. I believe that those countries that have a certain measure of civilization in some ways have embraced embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we better be very careful that we don't reject it. We're trying to preach the word. And we're not simply saving ourselves, but giving people an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a famous liberal Christian magazine that uh, wrote out of just, I don't know what reason, uh, to a number of world-famous theologians and asked them to summarize in a sentence, what is Christianity? What is Christianity? And they got back things like this. Christianity is a concern for social justice. Christianity is love and respect for everyone. Christianity is trying to live the best ethical and moral life you can. In other words, everything is reduced to moralism. One woman professor, I believe from Boston University, answered it this way she quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 and here she said is the essence of christianity that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself right on the money can't say it better the incarnation means that god has come into our world and god is doing something through his son that we cannot imagine or think. C.S. Lewis, for a while, was a kind of popular apologist for Christianity during the war years of World War II. But he realized that he could always do hardly anything but stir up debate. So he decided to present Christianity in story form, and he wrote the Narnia tales and other stories. You don't much argue with stories, you know. He simply just took people into another world and let him see Christianity from a different perspective, from the land of Narnia. But it's still the same message. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, what does this mean for you and me? It means not only can I come to know Christ, I know his voice. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know the voice of God. That is an amazing thing. Think of that for a moment. You can know the voice of God. It's not that you have discovered Him. He has come for you and spoken to you and created in you faith that you might receive Him and behold your interest in Christ. This is the best news that anyone could ever hope for or dream, and it is a certainty in a world of uncertainty. Our weakness can't touch it. Science can't touch it. Sociology can't touch it. All the advances, quote, in psychology can't touch it. None of these things can take this away. It comes from another world. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is rooted in the eternal. That is why we can be assured that we know God in Christ. I'm not sure about a lot of things. And there may be some days in the future when... I may not know much of anything. I hope I don't get to that point. But one thing I can always know and be assured of, that God loves me in Jesus Christ. It's not subject to corruption, to rust, or mold, or mildew. Moreover, I can rest assured that God will keep me saved. I'm in his hand. I have a friend, and I don't know which one it is because I get lots of emails, but I get emails, and at the end of one email, and I'll have to try to look it up and see which one uh, person it is, they write me emails, and they end up by saying, in his grip. Now, I'm not too big on that sort of thing myself, but I love that. It's so true, isn't it? I'm in his grip. I'm in the grip of the Son, and because I'm in the grip of the Son, I'm in the grip of the Father. And he will never leave me or forsake me. Jesus said in Colossians, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. The Dokar brothers, I think, represent... a lack of understanding of who God is in the face of Christ. I think our world is in danger. Once again, those parts that have received the gospel of turning their back on these things. The best way I know to express the assurance of God is that God has done something for us in Christ that we could not do for ourselves. Could not and would not. In Christ the Eternal has become known in our, concretely in our world. The Father and the Son have me gripped, held in their love. I'm reading a um, biography of C.S. Lewis, and it's a good one. Um, C.S. Lewis was not a saint. Actually, I've been disillusioned a bit about his life. But then, when I consider mine, I've let myself down many times. There's nothing certain in this world. We, we have ups and downs. And if it were left up to me to maintain myself in the grace of God, boy, would I be in trouble. There's nothing certain in this world. Stephen Hawking went to Caltech recently. Now, he's losing his luster in my sight. And I used to really like him, but I began to think that he's past his usefulness. The first thing he told them out there was that we're going to have to find a place to colonize because within a thousand years, it is likely that we will be hit Earth, planet Earth, will be hit with some giant asteroid destroying all of life. So we better get busy now colonizing another planet. He went on to say then that he had an answer for the cause of the universe and it did not include God. I read his answer. He has nothing. Not a thing. He postulates a few things. Now, this whole scientific model will be changed in a few years. Have you ever noticed the scientific theories are just rolled out one after another, after another, after another, after another? We will look back on this age if the world goes on and look back and say we were literally very medieval in our understanding of things. But know what God has done. He sent his son, the eternal in time, that you might know God. You might hear his voice. You might rest assured that he will take you to your heavenly home. Friends, I hope you learn to appreciate the incarnation. It's everything for us. It simply means in the words of Paul, God is for us. Who can be against us? This is the gospel. Praise be to God. Amen.